You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers, from faith leaders to academics to artists, to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? To help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome Deacon Andy Demas from St. Anne Catholic Church in Santa Fe and Janet, long-term member of the Santa Fe chapter of the National Organization for Women and an activist and organiser with Respect New Mexico Women. So firstly, welcome to both of you. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you. I'm glad to be part of this. Good morning to both of you, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So in today's show, we're going to be looking at the philosophical question of when life begins. And to do so, I think it would be really helpful to set out starting positions in terms of ethics. So my first question, and um, let's go to Janet first. My first question, is there an absolute right or and wrong? Are, re- are ethics relative or absolute? Well, we're people, not robots. And um, I think we're going to disagree even on the basics of right and wrong. I believe that slavery and genocide and misogyny and poverty are wrong. I believe that working for justice and giving women autonomy over their body and their decisions is a moral right. And that's why I work for reproductive health care. I think what is important to me is what is the space? How do we define the space between one person's view and another person's view? When you say those things are wrong, is it absolutely universally wrong? Or is it something that we work out together as human beings, relatively? Well, you know, we see the world through our own lens, Mm. our experiences, our upbringing. um, And I think we can only comment on how we see the world, the lens that we see the world. So I would think it was improper to say what is morally right in a culture that I am unfamiliar with. And so I'm talking in that context of what what appears to me to be immovably right and immovably wrong in the culture we live in and how I am as a person and what I do in this space where there are wrongs that I think can be adjusted and made more just. So Deacon Andy, let me ask you the same question. Are there absolute rights and wrongs? I would say that there is an absolute right and an absolute wrong. And of course, in order for at least me and the church that I represent to speak to that, it has to do with having a creator, God the creator, who is a source of all creation, including ourselves, uh, knows what's right, knows what's wrong, and he infuses that in our hearts, and we can go deeper into that. Uh, But beyond the absolute uh, truth, is another way to say it, is what I would say subjective truth. What an individual, any individual might consider to be right and wrong with legitimate basis in their mind, but still a human, a creation, creator, creation uh, speaking 
from their mind and heart as to what's right and what's wrong. But then that sounds like both relative and absolute ethics. So how do we distinguish between the two? The way that I distinguish between the two is that the right and what's wrong, I believe, based on the Bible, to be infused in our hearts. I've never, I do prison ministry and I've been around for a while. I'm almost 74 and I've spoken with a lot of people about a lot of things and I've never met anyone that didn't know in their heart what's right and what's wrong. But in the church, we call that the conscience and our conscience uh, guides us. But in the church, we say that our conscience needs to be informed. So we don't know the details, as I guess the way I would put it, of what's right and what's wrong unless we inform our conscience based, again, on the scriptures and the teachings of the church. So then let me ask as a, a follow-up, is it possible for two individuals to have totally differing beliefs, but for both those individuals to be moral human beings? Well, I couldn't judge any other person, including myself, as far as whether one's moral or immoral, right or wrong. Uh, I leave that to God. In our church, we uh, leave it to God for any kind of judgment and condemnation. And certainly two individuals might have different viewpoints on any given subject. But would, would we still be able to say they are moral even if they hold a differing ethical position to me? There's definitely positions that a person might hold that, uh, again, based on uh, scriptures, our understanding of them, that things that are absolutely wrong. And Janet, can I ask you the same question? For you, is it possible for people to disagree ethically, morally, but for both of those people to be moral, even if it's in their own lens, or or at least they're searching for a moral answer? I feel that we need to assume that that's true. And I think what I left out of one of the rights, moral rights, I believe, is respect. I, I talked a little bit about what the space between us looks like if we hold very varying different religious or moral beliefs. And if that space is carved out and it becomes a respectful space, then I think it's possible. If I respect your point of view, I assume you're a moral person and I would expect the same respect. So I grew up in a kind of noisy, multi-generational Jewish community in the 1950s. My grandparents were all immigrants from Eastern Europe. My parents were first-generation Americans and they were struggling to find respect in a world that wasn't always welcoming and they expected it in return and that's a lesson that I've taken. We have to start from that place. Otherwise, how do we talk to each other? So this is very interesting because even laying the groundwork, uh, even, even before we discuss when does life begin, we're already aware of two very differing positions, I think, in terms of, of morals and ethics. And, and I think that's interesting to carry forward into the discussion. So, I mean, the... This is all a philosophical, ethical, moral discussion in and of itself. And the, the discussion about when does life begin is clearly a philosophical discussion. So I would say to get to that point, we have to first define life. So what is life? How would you define life? When you talk about life beginning, not just human life, but life as a concept, what does life actually mean to you? Um, Deacon Anthony, uh, sorry, Deacon uh, Andy, can you uh, share your thoughts? Uh, that is a very deep question because I believe that 
It can be looked at in various contexts. The specific question that you had mentioned we would talk about is when does life begin? But to me, it begs a question of deeper questions such as the purpose of life, where did life come from, uh, what's the ultimate goal in life, meaning, purpose, and how everything relates. So, But isn't that just like that's a more theological question in terms of purpose? When, when we have discussions about when does life begin, we have in our minds what life is, and I think it helps to, to define that. So I understand what you're saying in terms of exploring what is the purpose of life, and maybe that's part of it, but, but even before that, what is life that we can discuss its purpose? Well, again, I, I come from the um, Catholic viewpoint and my own personal viewpoint after uh, my own life experience is that life begins with creation. You have to go, if you believe in the Bible, you believe in God, uh, based on that viewpoint, God created everything that is and brought it to life. He brought our original parents to life. He set them in the middle of the garden. We'll go through all the details. It brought us to the point where we're at now. And he uh, created human beings so that they could reproduce and uh, have life through uh, a child. And so that life uh, is something that originates with God and uh, ultimately ends with God. So for you, when we talk about life, life is that which comes from God. But there still has to be more because a stone, if you believe that God created the whole universe, a stone comes from God, but that's not life. Well, so, I guess I would take issue with that. And then uh, I'm not talking as a physicist or I'm just my own. I'm not even speaking for the church. But I would say that all of creation is living. Ah, okay. Thank you. That's very helpful. Jenny. Well, I wanted to add one more. Oh, go on, please. Uh, just to give an example, rocks, you brought that up. Sure. Uh, I believe that they have life. And the only example I could think of in a short description is the universe itself. Stars come into being. They say they're born. They have an existence. They go out of being. They say they die. And so to me, that's a living universe. Okay. Thank you. Um, that's really helpful, actually. Um, Janet, how would you define life? Well, I'm coming from a very different point of view. I'm coming from a secular point of view. Um, I scientists can't even agree on a definition of life, and we probably could spend the rest of the 18 minutes of this program <laughs> discussing and disagreeing. So if, if it's not insulting, I'd like to reframe the question Please. in the way that it's meaningful to me. So you may or may not be familiar with a very interesting historical character. Mary Mother Jones was an Irish immigrant and a labor organizer um, in the mines, once called the most dangerous woman in America. And she said, pray for the dead and fight like hell for the living. And so the way I would reframe your question, Rabbi, is how do we value the lives of people who are here? What kind, how do we show that we love people? How do we show that we care? We provide access to education. We provide health care. We provide what communities need to thrive. And I would come back at the risk of being repetitive to my basic belief that what underlies this is respect. Respect for individuals, respect for their rights and their concerns, 
respect for their lives, the lives of the living. And one of the ways, I believe, one of the underliers of this question, although it may not have been yours, is once we agree on when life begins, then will people be able to control women and their decisions about their bodies, their lives, their pregnancies, and their children? And in that way, I think it's an interesting discussion, but possibly one with that can take a pernicious turn. That's totally fair. So let me take from both of you then, before we take our break, um, and I guess I'm asking for a quick definition. The term that is often used in this discussion is pro-life. So what does pro-life mean to you? If you had to quickly explain to someone, pro-life to me means this, what would it be? Um, Deacon Andy. I don't know. I, I guess I have the feeling that pro-life has some uh, political connotations. Uh, pro-life, if we want to use that term, means uh, in support of God's creation and maintaining it, continuing it within our own capability to keep life going. Okay. Thank you. And Janet? Well, in the work that I do for women in New Mexico, we've tried to move beyond those boxes a definition of pro-life or even pro-choice to try to describe and in the political sense I would say having rejected both pro-life and pro-choice as limiting and not very helpful we talk about reproductive justice meaning supporting a woman to have a child or not have a child and supporting her and her decisions and providing the support that she needs and that families need to thrive and be healthy and have happy and healthy contributing lives. Well, thank you. I mean, it's fascinating to hear those two different um, those two different interpretations of that term and even to challenge whether or not that term is appropriate anymore. We're going to hold that in our in our hearts and, and thoughts at the moment. We're going to take a quick break. And, and when we come back, um, I think we're going to get a little bit biblical um, and we're going to look at a, a biblical source text and, uh, and discuss what does that mean for us from a, a religious perspective, from a secular perspective and so on. So you're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR, uh, where I'm joined by Deacon Andy and Janet. Um, and uh, we are discussing when life begins and we will be back after this break. You're back with Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Uh, this evening, I'm joined by Deacon Andy Demas from St. Anne Catholic Church in Santa Fe and also Janet, uh, a longtime member of the Santa Fe chapter of National Organization for Women. And we're having this fascinating discussion about when life begins. And we've only just started skirting around the edges of this discussion. I, I guess one of the things when I see this discussion so so often take place is people quoting the Bible in defense of their own position. And for me, the Bible is very clear from a rabbinic perspective. The Bible is very clear that the punishment for taking a life is death. Um, chapter 21 of the book of Exodus is one of many places where that's clear. Uh, and in the same chapter, though, it says that a man who causes a miscarriage of a woman pays a fine according to the injury to the woman. Um, what it doesn't say is that the person who causes the miscarriage should be killed, which to me and to the Jewish tradition, and um, I guess I can only speak for myself, means that the Bible doesn't see the fetus as being akin to a fully grown human. Otherwise, the penalty for causing a miscarriage would have been death. 
So I guess as a religious, um, as a Catholic, Deacon Andy, how do you reconcile your position um, with the biblical text, particularly the one of Exodus 21? In order to uh, answer that question, I actually have to go beyond the biblical text that you quoted because in the Catholic Church, we consider the Bible to be made of, of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we consider that Jesus is the full, full fulfillment of the Old Testament by being the Son of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and that the truth of but the Bible being revelation, revealing of information from God to people all the way from the first book to the last book. And so the way I would answer that question was to go to the New Testament and to go to the example where Jesus was in the temple area and the Pharisees and the scribes brought a woman to him that had been caught in adultery. And I noticed they didn't bring a man along, but they brought the woman and said, that this woman should be stoned according to the law of Moses, and what do you say? And Jesus just bent down and wrote on the ground a little bit. And then he basically said that let the, the one among you who has not sinned be the one to cast the first stone. Right. And they left one by one. Right. And then he told the woman to uh, go and sin no more. So the approach is different. The fulfillment of the law is the law of love and not to stone the woman or incarcerate the woman. It's to exercise love to bring that woman to knowledge and repentance and reconciliation. But that's, that's I, I, I see a similarity, but there's also a difference because that's talking about, I mean, ironically, I would say it's talking about the love of the living woman and the focus on love, not punishing that living woman. Right. Um, it's, I guess that in some sense supports what I was saying, which is that the, the Exodus text seems to focus on the, the fact that the fetus is part of the woman, not a being in and of itself. Could I read a short verse from the Catechism? Sure. It's not very long, but this, I think, says better than I can say in terms of what we're talking about. And this is from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is the magisterium or teachings of the church based on Scripture and right. church elder or uh, understanding, and this is number 2258. Human life is sacred because from its beginning it involves the creative action of God, and it remains forever in a special relationship with the Creator, who is its sole end. God alone is the Lord of life from its beginning until its end. No one can, under any circumstances, claim for himself the right directly to destroy an innocent human being. I would agree, but that's still not answering the question, though, because when it says from the beginning, when is the beginning of life? And it doesn't define that. And I, I would say that the book of Exodus suggests the beginning of life is once the baby is born. And that's certainly how the Jewish tradition read that, um, that in fact, in the, the Mishnah, um, the idea that if the woman's life is in danger in the pregnancy, you can literally cut the, the fetus out of the woman because it's not it's not alive yet. So I might agree with that statement, but that comes back to the question about when does life begin? Okay, so I'll try to be brief, but uh, the Catholic Church doesn't have the same interpretation as right. you do. Of course. And the Catholic Church accepts science based on that question, and the science that anyone that's been learned about human anatomy and genetics knows that when the sperm and the egg unite, that it becomes a new 
being, and the Catholic Church believes that the soul is infused, and that's the beginning of life with the conception. Well, and I'll come to Janet in a second, but I'm going to disagree with you about science says, because um, science says that when these things happen, something happens, but it doesn't define it as life. Science can't define it as life because that's not a scientific statement. Science, especially according to Karl Popper, needs a falsificationism. It needs something to be able to prove or disprove. So whether or not the fetus is still part of the woman, um, I would suggest um, the we can't say that science says because that's not a scientific perspective. It's a theological one, I guess, or a philosophical one. But so let me let me turn to Janet. You know, you're hearing, uh, you know, a deacon and a rabbi discussing the Bible. Is the Bible relevant to you in this discussion? I think it's only relevant to you if it's relevant to you. I don't, <laughs> I don't mean to be difficult about this, but it's not relevant to me in my life. But obviously it's relevant. To, to Deacon Andy, and I respect that. Um, where I begin to differ is when his point of view finds its way into the public space, into attempts to make laws and influence social policy. So, so you, I, well, I was just going to say, so you don't think religion should be used to help determine the law of the land? You know, actually, it's not. It's illegal. Right. We have the Constitution that separates religion from the public space. For me, in terms of my own Jewish identity, which um, is less religious and more secular and historical and cultural, um, what has informed my life and continues to is the Jewish requirement that while we are here on earth, we participate in tikkun olam, which means the repair of the world. And we each do that in our own way. We try to make the world a better place. And I believe that the three of us sitting here all have an interest in trying to make the world a better place. I do it in working on behalf of women. Part of that comes out of my own personal experience, my Jewish experience, my belief in social justice. And it feels like a very Jewish thing to do, but it's not just a Jewish thing to do. And I feel like we who are doing this work to ensure health for New Mexico women, we are doing it in a respectful space that basically says, I am not in her shoes. We are not in her shoes. Therefore, if we respect her as a moral, autonomous person, then we respect her boundaries and her, her choices in life, which may or may not be a choice or a necessity to terminate an abortion. And to me, that isn't biblical, but it is a very culturally Jewish thing for me, and it's an important part of who I am in the world. So then let me ask you a follow-up, which I'll then ask Deacon Andy. Is it possible for a person to say, according to my belief, I would not have an abortion, but you are entitled to your belief and you do as you wish? Is that, um, is, is that possible? If we're going to come up, if we're going to come together in any meaningful way, working for ameliorating some of the ills of the world, we really need to be able to do that. We need to be 
acknowledging that we're complex human beings and we're able to hold two ideas in our head at the same time. Two years ago, a wonderful survey was done in mostly rural New Mexico. And the question that was asked was, are you able to hold your own personal religious views at the same time that you support a woman's right to make her own personal medical decision about her body and her pregnancy? And 77% of rural New Mexicans and 79% of Catholics agree that they are able to be complex, thinking human beings and hold those two views. In my opinion, this is a higher calling for us if we are going to work for social justice. We need to say, I believe this, I am a moral person, but I believe and I acknowledge that I have no right in law or in theology, in my opinion, to impose my views on another person. That statistic that you say is, is very surprising, very, one wouldn't have expected that necessarily. Um, Deacon Andy, how do you respond? How do you, you know, if I asked you the same question about, is it possible for you as a deacon to say, this is my belief, but you can do what you want with your own body? Or is there something different in terms of being a deacon in the Catholic Church? It's uh, <clears throat> not sure I totally understand the question. I, uh, well, it's it, kind of like live and let live. I, I don't really subscribe to that. Uh, in some sense, I think it is. Well, not necessarily live and let live, but I believe this is right for me. Um, but what's right for me isn't necessarily what's right for you. It's back to the objective uh, and subjective uh, morality. Is, is it possible to say my Catholic belief is this, but that's not your belief, so okay, that's for your decision? Well, I guess I can't really say that, you know, I would, like you did, reframe, I'd rather reframe frame the question. Sure. I can't say that my personal belief is this, you're entitled to your belief, I'm entitled to my belief. I think that's to reduce it to too simple a question. Uh, to go back to the, to the law, um, yes, we have laws, but there's a spiritual law and there's a civil law. And the spiritual laws are absolute, as I said to the beginning. And from my understanding of law, I'm not a lawyer, is that laws started to be based on, again, what's right and what's wrong. People knew what was right and what's wrong. And they started establishing rules, regulation, laws, depending on which society you're in. And over the course of time, it almost became more like, a, like in this country, more of a democratic approach. You have representatives, you voice your opinion, they make a law. That's going beyond the spiritual. It's going more to like uh, taking a vote. So... I still subscribe that it's wrong to take human life, and that's a moral law. And uh, if someone chooses to do it, they have free will, but there's consequences to making the wrong decisions. I think this is, this is so fascinating for me because um, I guess because we, we still haven't got to what life is and when life starts. Um, I think we've, we've just started touching the surface of this discussion about is the fetus uh, an autonomous being? Is it part of, of the woman's body? Um, in a final sentence, if, you, if there's one thing that you absolutely had to say before the end of the show in one sentence, what would it be? Um, let's take uh, Janet first. Okay, I'm going to make it a long sentence. It's going to be quick. I would though. say <laughs> abortion is health care and abortion is a social justice issue. And do we want to live in the Handmaid's Tale country, 
where government tells women they have to become mothers. Is this the kind of just, tolerant, supportive, loving world we want to live in? And if it's not, can we reach across the space of our beliefs and find a way that we could work together for justice? Thank you. Deacon Andy. Yeah, there is a lot more to be said, but I, I don't support the idea of incarcerating women, for example, for abortion. I've, I'm, I'm also a, I've been a chaplain at the penitentiary in New Mexico, and I've seen 650 women incarcerated, and it's a sad sight. Uh, I think that, you know, that there are rights and wrongs, but when it comes to the civil uh, laws, I think there's a lot that could be done to have a better system. Thank you to both of you, to Deacon Andy from St. Anne Catholic Church and to Janet from the Santa Fe chapter of the National Organization of Women. Thank you so much for helping us at least start to address this issue. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching. <laughs>